the last prophet of the Old Testament. That is not John the Baptist. Let me make sure I turn this phone off. I think I forgot. It is off. Okay. This is the last prophet of the Old Testament. Of course, then after Malachi, there was about 400 years, what they call the 400 silent years. There was no word from the Lord. And of course, then John the Baptist came on scene. Anyway, Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, Of love you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord, Yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau, and laid his mountain and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. I titled this message tonight, The Affirming of God's Love to His People. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege of ours to open your word tonight. Thank you for this time we can set apart to come out of our busy week to, to be encouraged and strengthened in our walk with you. Father, I just pray we would be encouraged tonight, strengthened, and challenged. And might you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As mentioned, that Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament, prophesying just 400 years, around 400 years before John the Baptist comes on the scene. <clears throat> He's later than all the rest. Um, by a number of years, and his message is to the people, uh, of course, that have returned from the capti- uh, from captivity, and are uh, in bad bad way, I guess you could say, in dire straits, and much of it of their own doing, of course. So as we think about this, you know, they they the 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 situation is. Um, really, there's a lack of love for the Lord. Uh, there's no reverence for God, and that's what he challenges with uh, in this book. So, so let's think about this tonight, the first five verses here. Uh, they question, does God love them? So it starts out, we see, as we think about the affirming of God's love, first of all, you see the burden of the Lord for Israel. In verse 1, it says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The word burden means heavy to bear, or the idea of great concern or urgency or grieved or grief over the condition of his people. Uh, Judges 10.16, for example, it says, and, and they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul was grieved or was burdened for the misery of Israel. You know, God is, God is burdened. He is concerned about his people and their condition. Uh, Zechariah 12.1, And the burden of the Lord, word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Of course, uh, Zechariah is about 80 years prior to Malachi. Uh, Matthew 23.37, uh, uh, Lord Jesus, when he was speaking about Jerusalem, you know, in his concern for his people, said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
Thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and you would not. You know, isn't that the reason the Lord came into the garden and called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? Where art thou? Because God does have a concern or a care and is burdened about his people and their needs. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. God does care about you. And so when Malachi says the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel, He's talking about God does care for his people. And then we see, secondly, the declaration of God's love. In verse 2 he says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. I have loved you. Of course, that phrase, I have loved you, is, is, is uh, uh, speaking about that you know, of, of the past, that God has always loved his children. Why are they questioning? You know, we're going to see a little on that they're going to question that. Why are they questioning God's love? You know, God made it. God, God made it an everlasting covenant with His people. Deuteronomy ten fifteen. Oh, the Lord! Only the Lord had delight in thy fathers to love them, and He chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. And of course, you go back all the way to Genesis seventeen seven, and where it's where God spoke to Abraham saying, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And of course that was given, handed on down to Isaac and to Jacob, uh, uh, Genesis 48, 4, and said unto me, speaking to Jacob, behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee and I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. Then Deuteronomy 33, 27, speaking into Israel, he says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. And then Jeremiah 31, 30, or 3 says this, The Lord hath appeared of old time, old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And, of course, you come over in the New Testament, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, when it says God so loved the world, that's everyone from Adam to the last person, human being, that will ever be born. God loved us. And so there's a clear declaration of God's love. I have loved you, saith Lord. But we see a disputation of that love in verse 2 again. Wherein hast thou loved us? Wherein hast thou loved us? You know, when you think about it, all the promises God gave to Israel, that's about as brazen as the Pharisees saying to Jesus, we were never in bondage to any man. It's on the same, same, you know, same, same line of thinking. We were never in bondage to any man. 
So why was there this, this disputation or this doubting of God's love for them? Well, we read on here in verses 3 and 4. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountain and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. The problem was, it seems to indicate here that there's this bitterness about God's judgment of them by Edom or Esau, the children of Esau. They were bitter about the judgment at the hand of the at the hand of the Philistines and the Arabians and the Edomites took part in that. And let me, let, let me, let's go back here. This is what it's referring to. Go to Second Chronicles chapter twenty-one. Second Chronicles chapter 21. Second Chronicles 21. Of course, this is, this is uh, uh, Jehoram who married Ahab's daughter, remember? So Judah is becoming very corrupt. And because of that corruption, in Second Chronicles 21 verse 10, it says, So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. I'll drop down verse 16 and 17. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines of the Arabians that were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives so that there was never a son left him save Jehoaz the youngest of his sons. Now, uh, if you go over to Obadiah, Obadiah, that's somewhere in the white pages of your Bible too. Uh, and it's only one chapter. I have to think about where it is. Should have marked it. Fingers don't work. Obadiah, there we are. Obadiah, verse 10. And, and it says this, For thy violence against thy brother, Jacob, Shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. So what he's saying is that there, there were other people who came in and invaded Judah, and while they were invading it, you came in as one of them. And... And uh, commentators say, all commentators say, that, that Edom, when, when, when Philistines and the Arabians came into Judah and invaded it, and invaded it and carried off all the silver and the gold and, and his wives and all that, Edom also came in there and plundered. Uh, and this is what it's talking about here in Ob Obadiah. 
He says, In that day thou stoodest on the other side, and the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape, neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. So Edom aided the enemy. They laughed and they mocked and they robbed and they blocked the escape of those that were escaping. And God allowed it. And this is what the children of Israel are bitter about. God allowed it. Psalm 137, in Psalm 137, verse 7, uh, it says this, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it. And that means empty it or destroy it. Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. So, so what they're saying here is, it's God's fault. That Edom plundered us. It's God's fault. Look what Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. And this in the, in the, in the, and in their bitterness, they're questioning, because of this, they're questioning God's love for them. But Jeremiah chapter 2, God makes it very clear what the problem is. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of a shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through, and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country, to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine inheritance an abomination. The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. Drop down to verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hew them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? The young lions roared upon him and, and yelled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Verse 17. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself? Anybody know what procured means? You kind of brought it on yourself. You brought it on your. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself, in that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, wherein he led thee by the way? Verse 19. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy black backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, 
saith the Lord God of hosts. So, you know, they're, they're, they're bitter about this fact that Edom uh, uh, plundered Jerusalem and Judea, Judah, it, it, you know, hundreds of years ago. This is before they even went into captivity. They're bitter about that, and they're questioning, you know, does God really love us? Because of this, they're saying, does God really love us? Is it not God's fault? One commentator said this, and I quote, Men, instead of referring their sufferings to their proper cause, their own sin, impiously accuse God of indifference to their welfare. Unquote. In other words, it's God's fault. Or you'll hope people will say, or, well, you know, my dad and mom, or the preacher, or the church, or, you know. It's always somebody else's fault. It, it, what this is, is it's an inability to look inward and honestly examine themselves. That's a nice way of saying they're just plain pride. Pride. They're just like the Pharisees, who are never in bondage to any man. Or sort of like Ahab, you know, Ahab saying, you know, Ramath Gilead's ours, and we're sitting here. Duh, whose fault was that? It was his. I mean, he had, he had defeated Benadad in battle, and he let him go. So there was bitterness. But you see, so that blinded them. Um, so they, they doubted, because of their bitterness, they doubted God's love to them. But then you see the affirmation of God's love. In verse 2, verse 2, he reminds them of, 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 of some things. Verse 2 through 4. Uh, first of all, he reminds them that he chose Jacob. He chose Jacob. In verse 2 it says, uh, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob? Now, this, of course, is, is the sovereign choice of God. Romans 9.13 says, As is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, we know that's a, that's a, a, a relative comparison. You know, uh, uh, it's not that he, God really hates Esau, but he loved Jacob, and he chose Jacob. Uh, one commentator said, Remember the reason why election is brought up here, not to exclude, but to comfort and reassure. A woman once said to Mr. Spurgeon, I cannot understand why God should say that he hated Esau. That, Spurgeon replied, is not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. Think about it. How could God love Jacob? Was he not he rightly called? What did Esau say about him? Was he not rightly called Jacob? Which means supplanter, schemer, deceiver. Yeah, he was. You see, they could not deny that God had intervened for them many, many times. They couldn't deny that. How could they deny it? Their history is full of it. You know, Joshua 24, 1 through 13, Joshua rehearses it for them. How many times God intervened for them? You know, the crossing of the Red Sea and, and feeding them in the wilderness and water out of the rock and manna and all these things, God intervened for them, gave them the good of the land. 
And then with, with the judges in the book of Judges, when they turned away from the law, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes, that God raised up judges who would deliver them. There was King Saul who delivered him out of the hands of the Philistines, and he turned away from the Lord. And then David conquered, you know, and, and the empire grew, and the, the, the kingdom grew, and then Solomon. You know, read, go to Psalm 105 and 106. Psalm 105 and 106. <clears throat> Psalmist rehearses all this in, basically in two chapters. All the great things that the Lord did for the nation of Israel. Uh, Psalm, 100 and, Psalm 105, uh, let's start in verse, verse 8. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the words which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham, and his oath unto Isaac. He confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, Unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance, when there were but a few men in number, yea, very few, and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes. He reproved Bimelech, he reproved um, uh, Pharaoh as well. Uh, anyway, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He brake the whole staff of bread. Not talking about Egypt. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came. And the word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance. To bind his princes at pleasure, teach his senators wisdom. Israel also came in Egypt. Jacob served him in the land of Ham. And he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal subtly with his servants. He sent Moses' his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They showed his signs among them and wonders in the lands of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they rebelled not against his word. He turned their waters into blood and slew their fish. Their land brought forth frogs in abundance in the chambers of their kings. He spake, and there came divers sorts of flies and lice in all their co uh, coasts. He gave them hail for rain and a flaming fire in their land. He smote their vines also in their fig trees and brake uh, the trees of their coast. He spake, and the locusts came, and caterpillars and that without number. He did eat up all the herbs in their land and devoured all their fruit of their ground. He smote also the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. And he spread a cloud, and so on. You know, you go on and on, and it's all about what God did for it. Did you ever hear of a slave people, when they leave, taking all the silver and gold with them? And yeah, you know, and he, and he talks, and he goes, Chapter 106 talks about the, the Red Sea, dried up the Red Sea, and, and, and brought them through that. And they, and they lost it in the wilderness, and so on and so on. And it's just one instance after another where God intervened for them. And so God reminds them, hey, I chose you. I chose you. And I have protected you, and I have provided for you. And not only that, they say, I chose you, but he, he affirms this love by telling them about the judgment of Edom or Esau was certain. You know, what they were worried about, what they were bitter over, uh, he said, is not going to come to pass. Notice verse 3 and 4. I hated Esau, laid his mountain and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Adam, Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
They shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. So because of their bitterness, they were blind to the promises of God. They're blind. And the Lord reminds them here, look, you realize what I said? Now, understand the circumstances. They're back in the land. Edom still exists, though they've been defeated and they're impoverished. They're in worse shape than Israel, but they're boasting about what they're going to do to Israel. Evidently, they're boasting about it because it says uh, that, that but we will return and build the desolate place. So Edom's boasting about what they're going to do in the future. But it's all in vain because of what God has said. Isaiah 34, verse 5 says this, For my sword, now this is, this is, this is uh, 300 years ago, but it's after Edom uh, fought with Philistines and the Arabians and, and plundered Israel. So it's after that. This is judgment God has said. Isaiah 34, 5. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Edomia. That's another name for Edom. And upon the people of my curse to judgment. Jeremiah 49, 17. Also, Edom shall be a desolation, and everyone that goeth by it shall be astonished, and shall hiss at all the plagues thereof. And then in Ezekiel, several times in Ezekiel, chapter 25, and, and, and you know, again, the children of Israel should have known this, but again, bitterness blinds you to the truth of God's word. Ezekiel 25, verse 12, Thus saith the Lord God, because that Edom hath dealt against the house of Judah by taking vengeance, and hath greatly offended, and revenged himself upon them, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will also stretch out my hand upon Edom, and will cut off man and beast from it, and I will make it desolate from Teman, and they of Dedan shall fall by the sword. And I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to mine anger and according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord God. And then again, in, in Ezekiel 35, verse and the whole chapter really here is about Edom. It's called Mount Seir here, but it's the same place. And Ezekiel uh, <clears throat> 35 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it, and say unto it, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against thee, and I will stretch out my hand against thee, and I will make thee most desolate. I will lay thy cities waste, and thou shalt be desolate, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Because thou hast had a perpetual hatred and hast shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity, in the time that their iniquity had an end. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will prepare thee unto blood, and blood shall pursue thee. See, thou hast not hated blood, even blood shall pursue thee. Thus will I make Mount Seir most desolate and cut off from it him that passeth out and him that returneth. And I will fill his mountains with the slain men and in thy hills and thy valleys and all thy rivers, and they shall fall that are slain with the sword. So, you know, God had pronounced his judgment against Edom. But in their bitterness, they're blind. Your bitterness will blind you. It'll blind you to the promises of God. 
You know, they need to be reminded of, of Deuteronomy 32.10, where it says, He found him in a desert land, in the waste howling wilderness. He led them about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Do you, do you protect the apple of your eye? Yeah. God says, they are the apple of my eye. Zechariah 2.8 again, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the, glory hath, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. You see, how could they say, wherein hast thou loved us? How could they say that? And God said, yea, I love thee. Love thee with an everlasting love. And I have judged the enemy because of the wickedness. So as we think about it, just a couple things, as we consider God's love, as we think about God's love to Israel and to us, just a couple of thoughts I had in closing. Number one, but for God's love, we'd all be in hell. Your Lamentations 3, 21 2 says this, This I very call to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. You see, if Satan had his way, you know where you'd be? You'd be in hell now. But it's of the Lord's mercies. We're not consumed. Secondly, and these are simple things, but God loves all mankind. What about uh, Matthew chapter 5? Of course, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. But God's love is to all mankind. Matthew 5. <clears throat> Verse 43, ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So, God loves all mankind, even his enemies. He loves. However, number three, God's love will not violate holiness now you know, though God loves you he will not favor or bless you or enable you in your sin you know listen to uh, and I'm not endorsing it but if you listen to Dave Ramsey for example uh, sometimes you'll have parents call in and they give this sob story about their child. And one of the things I appreciate about Dan's Ra Dave Ramsey is he's, he, he'll say, are you going to continue to enable them? 
In other words, if, you, if, if they're on drugs, if you continue to give them money and they're blowing it, you're, gonna, you're enabling their sin. God won't do that. God won't do that. You know, if they, if, 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 if they are not pleasing him, God's not for them. Let me illustrate. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And 1 Samuel 28, 6 gives us a good illustration of that where it says, uh, uh, Saul, you know, Saul had disobeyed the Lord, and he had been rejected as king, and he's trying to murder his son-in-law, and so Saul inquires of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, not. Neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. Oh, he's inquiring the Lord. He wants, he wants uh, to hear from God because the Philistines have been in the land. And the Lord answered him not. Why? Because he had disobeyed God. He had rebelled against God. And the Bible tells us the Spirit of God had departed from Saul. Now I have to ask the question, or had Saul departed from him? God doesn't change. You know, 1 Samuel 18, 29 makes an interesting comparison as we think about that. It says, and Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. And when you become a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. James 4.4 4 tells us that. So, so God's love will not violate his holiness. We can't expect his favor. We can't expect his help if we don't obey him or show our love. Jude one twenty one says this, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And as we're going to see here, these, later on, these children of Israel, they weren't living in obedience to the Lord. And it all goes back to the fact that they disputed whether God loved them because they were bitter about the consequences for their own sin. And so they were blinded to the reality of what God had actually done and was still doing for them. They were blinded. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressors is hard. Yeah, life's hard for them. Why? Because of their lack of understanding. Or lack of obedience. And love for the Lord. Might, help, might God help us to realize, you know, no matter what we may go through or the difficulties we face in life, God does love us. That'll never change. We need to stop and ask ourselves the question, are we, do we really love him? Are we walking in obedience to him? Just because you have trials doesn't mean you're not. You know, 
Remember the disciples went where Jesus said, and there was a storm. So just because you have trials doesn't mean you're not obeying the Lord. But God does allow these things uh, in our lives to perfect us and to help us in our walk with him. Uh, might we have confidence in his love for us. Let's pray.